Reading from Step 11, Grapevine article. It's out of the book, November 2014. The story is, Dear HP, Neither rain nor snow could keep him from giving this prayer thing a shot. Step 11, Satra Prayer and Meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood Him, praying only for knowledge of His will for us and the power to carry that out. If you hear any noise in the background, I'm on the elliptical, it's kind of like a treadmill. When I walked into the doors of AA, I heard a lot of talk about praying. People told me to get on my knees in the morning and at night and say the third step prayer, the seven step prayer, the Lord's prayer, and the serenity prayer. They told me to pray about this and that and to put them in my prayers, adding that they would put me in theirs. And of course, people told me to pray for those people I resented or disliked. I heard all this talk about prayer with very little working knowledge. The only prayer I did say was grace before dinner. But it, but I also screamed and cursed at God because I blame him for all my problems. And let's not forget all the wet and dry drunks, rants and raves that I yelled out to the trees, chairs, or any object in my path. I was filled with fear, anger, frustration that life was not giving me what I wanted on my terms. But I could no longer drink or scream these feelings away. I had to shake a start with a new higher power and with step two, I had to discard my old punishing fire and brimstone higher power. I had to replace it with a loving and tolerant one. I still didn't believe my new higher power cared about me. So I was told just to believe that I believed. (laughs) What? They told me just to believe that I believed. Huh. When I moved on to step three, it was time to hit my knees. There I was on my knees and elbows on the bed saying the third step prayer. It really felt weird for about a month. It was just words at first, but I kept saying and praying until it didn't feel weird anymore. And when I was upset or wanted a drink, I would repeat the seven serenity prayer over and over, sometimes out loud and sometimes just in my mind. Somehow it seemed to help. When I felt on shaky grounds, I asked my higher power to help me get me to a meeting. I asked for the help when I thought the world would fall in on me. I was starting to believe my new higher power did love and care for me. Then I walked step five. Through step five, I never saw it coming when it came time to tell God my fourth step. I didn't know what was going on in my head, I thought God knew everything, so I didn't have to tell him. Then someone pointed out why telling God my fourth step shouldn't be a big deal. Man, that caught me in a lie to myself. Well, I did that part of the 
fifth step for which I'm so grateful. At first, I thought my new higher power would lead me when I told him that I, what I had done, but I was wrong. Praying to my higher power for the forgiveness was the most personal thing I ever done. I must have said the serenity prayer about a million times before I realized that it was telling me how to deal with life's problems. I am a little slow. What part of the problem or situation did I need to accept? And what part did I need to change? The only part I can change is my actions. So I needed to pray for the courage to change them. I also prayed for help, accepting other people, places and things. The wisdom part came or comes with time. Time also taught me to look at the other prayers for guidance. And I have. Wow. What wisdom I found in the prayers. There are guidelines to help me to accept life on life's terms. I had five years sober when I went back to school and worked the steps and all the program for the best of my ability. Still, I had no good job, no good place to live, and no hope. I had hit rock bottom in sobriety, so I sat down and wrote my higher power letter. I opened my soul and heart like never before. As tears hit the paper, I kept writing. I wrote until I was empty, until there was nothing left inside. I got an envelope addressed it to God, and I took it to the mailbox. As I put my letter in the mailbox, the tears fell from my face, and I let go. After the letter was dropped, my life slowly got better, and my faith and relationship with my higher power really grew. I hope to always grow toward my higher power and learn more about prayer every day. Jeff H. from Surgeon, Montana. Beautiful, wonderful. The, the story of prayer. I'm Fernando Alcoholic. Well, my first meeting I ever started in AA, I had incorporated all five prayers in there. Somehow I got the serenity prayer, the third step prayer, the seventh step prayer, uh, and uh, the, the Our Father in there, the five or four. And uh, we successfully, the meeting ran for about 10 years, then COVID knocked it off the charts. But for somehow, some way, prayer does good to our nervous system. As soon as we start to pray, we become easy and we start yawning and yawning and we start relaxing. The other prayer I have incorporated in my life is the, uh, is the OK prayer on page 416 of the fourth edition in the book, big book. And it says, OK, God, it is true that I, of all people, strange as it seems, and even though I didn't give my permission, really, really am an alcoholic of sorts. And that's all right with me. Now, what am I going to do about it? Amen. That prayer spoke volumes to me that it admitted to God in a joyful, loving way that it was truly a surprise that I was caught in alcoholism and that God, with his counsel and his wisdom, would help me to get out and, and be a productive member of society. And that's what he did.
he continues to to help me when I struggle with energy, with doubt, with confusion, what articles to read, what book to read, uh, in my just everyday life. Now, there has to be an answer. I was reading another article where when the situation happens like I'm facing is to add greater wisdom through the serenity prayer like this gentleman just said. So, I have confusion. What's the answer? Wisdom, right? Action. So, I'll ask God for that. For greater wisdom, greater action over the situation in any problem. My cars are giving me problems and I ask for bigger, better, wider, stronger, more dependable, newer lifestyle vehicles. If I'm cluttered with furniture, then I ask for more wisdom, more strength, more talent, more giving, giving of things away in my heart. I've been doing that lately. Lately, I've been exercising what it says in the Bible. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And I noticed that some of the recipients are not grateful and thankful at all. And I've been there. I saw myself. Someone gives me something and there's something wrong with it. You know, I'm, I'm grudging. I know you've never done something like that. But it's, I saw that. The, uh-oh, I did that. So, I need to continue to grow. I thank God I'm a grudge. I grudged. One of the things, since I don't drive truck no more, I retired from driving a semi-truck in the grocery business. I used to scream and yell and sing in the truck over the roaring of the of the diesel engine and the noise. But I burned myself out by the time I got to the destination. All right, let's go ahead and move on to our next story. It's from Steve C. from Tulsa, Oklahoma. And this one's called Through the Ceiling. I used to think God was mad at me. How can a so-called loving God put up with someone as bad as me? I never did care much if he loved me or not. I just wanted things to go my way. If they didn't go my way, I figured God didn't care that much about me. Maybe he'd care if I did missionary work in Africa. Heck, before AA, I didn't care about others either, unless there were strings attached. If I actually spend time praying or meditating on God's will, maybe things will turn out different. I thought a few memorized prayers would be good enough to call myself spiritual. Call myself spiritual. But why was I still so miserable? I used to read pages 86 and 87 in the big book, the part about unawakening and asking for the right decisions or for our thoughts to be put on a much higher plane. When Then there was the phrase, fate without works is dead. Boy, did I used to feel dead on the inside. 
I still find it difficult to talk with someone I can't see, touch, feel, or hear. So I try and talk with this God. I can move mountains? Really? So my journey began. The first thing I did was to get on my knees in the morning for just five minutes and try to talk with this God about my thoughts and feelings. At first, I thought my prayers were only hitting the ceiling, but this God was patient. He finally started to talk deep inside my heart. I knew it had to be God because I could not have come up with feedback and answers like this. I could have not. It had to be God. I could not have come up with these with feedback and answers like these. I'm not saying everyone has to do what I did, but seriously, over time, I found there's a huge loving God who wants to spend time with me. Why? One hour with God can reveal the deepest and best secret plans. I'm just saying, Steve C. from Tulsa, Oklahoma. <laughs> I'm just saying. Beautiful, wonderful articles. Another article I was reading earlier today, uh, it's about a book called I Heard God Laugh. And it has, you know, start off with gratitude, three things you're grateful for before hitting your knees, acknowledging God, and believing that He's standing right there. That's one of the hardest things to do, is to believe He's standing there. So I'm trying to read books. I'm trying to get motivated. I get on my knees and do my prayers. Not enough. Three, four, five minutes. Then my mind wanders off somewhere else, and I jump up and start doing something. I don't know if he answered me with energy, but I feel pretty good. I feel, I started to believe that he's standing right there. I started to talk to him. And then one of the areas is to challenge myself. To So I pick up another article and I start reading this article. And it was, I have uh, three or four books I'm reading at the same time. It takes a lot of your energy away doing that. But I picked that one book and it said that the longest journey, pilgrimage that people make is to, not to Jerusalem, Lady Fatna, or other places. They have them all over where years ago, centuries ago, it was a gruesome journey, camping and going. Now we have uh, transportation to ease. And the point I'm making is when I went to Bible college, all of us have a desire to appease, to please the Father in our hearts. I know I did, so I went to Bible college, and I sought and sought, and I realized that life itself was Bible college. And the article went on to say that the longest journey, the Sayak Indians say, the longest journey is from the head to the heart. That's the longest journey. And I saw that. When you have individuals in recovery centers, and that journey won't take place because of resentment, ego, pride, especially pride, self-sufficiency. You know what pride is? It's taking some, something else's, somebody else's values, ideas, and strength and using it as your own. For instance, our lives, 
our energy, our intellect, all come from God. And being dishonest, God wants us to be honest. When we're dishonest, we start denying it. And we start picking on others and making excuses. And drink and any little thing ticks us off. So there you go, folks. We get wiser as we go. We see ourselves in other people and we can relate to them. Just like I'm relating to you. All right, let me see. Let's go do one more story. And hopefully it's on prayer. This one is called Tradition 11. Our public relations is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, and films. This one's called Mike the Plumber and Airplane Time. Should AAs be less anonymous when we introduce ourselves to each other? This is by Jim T. from Longmont, Colorado. I was prompted to write this after visiting a meeting in South Florida with my wife. While talking to some people before it started, someone mentioned emphysema mic. My wife almost burst out laughing on the floor. Everywhere I lived and traveled since getting sober in 1990, people in AA have had nicknames, but never has she heard someone identified by a melody. In my home group, we have such characters as Mike the Plumber, Airplane Tim, The Good Dave, Self-Proclaimed, and so forth. In, in my group, we have Radiator Tom, we have Popcorn Bob, we have uh, Cowboy, Cowboy Jim, we have Dave, Captain Dave, we have Fernando Commando, Someone in Sacramento gave me that after starting those morning meetings when I was pushing and trying to get people to come to the business meeting so we can vote on it. And this beautiful lady started calling me Fernando Commando. And it, it took. People started calling me that. And because there's three, maybe four Fernandos running around in our area, uh, the nickname has caught to identify who's who. Because we're, we get confused from what Fernando. Some people have called me the good Fernando, and that makes me feel good when I eat crow and don't argue and take other people's ungrowth patterns or what do you, or uh, control freaks' attitudes in the meetings. Here we go. Back to the article. While these moneykers are descriptive and sometimes amusing, I believe they do us a disservice. Besides sounding a little like an organized crime family. <laughs> More importantly, they highlight the fact that we might be taking the principle of anonymity beyond its original intention. Uh-oh. My sponsor has introduced himself at meetings by first name and last name since I've known him. One day he told me I should do the same. 
by way of explanation, he had me read several passages from the book, Dr. Bob and the Good Old Timers. John, my sponsor, said, we are not anonymous among ourselves. What if for some reason I have to look up your phone number or come visit you at the hospital? I think they may have a hard time finding Airplane Tim. Dr. Bob said, we have taken this business of anonymity way too far. In Dr. Bob and the Good Old Timers, there are several comments by Dr. Bob or people recalling what he said regarding anonymity. My favorite is a recollection by Warren C. of the doctor saying, there were two ways to break the anonymity tradition. One, by giving your name at the public level of press or radio. Two, by being so anonymous that you can't be reached by other drunks. The next segment contains another quote attributed to Dr. Bob about the 11th tradition. Since our tradition on anonymity designates the exact level where the line should be held, it must be obvious to everyone who can read and understand the English language that to maintain anonymity at any level is definitely a violation of this tradition. Several more quotes follow using equally adamant language in the next several paragraphs. If my sponsor tells me to do something, I assume it's with good reason. When he goes out, out of his way to tell me where to find out why he told me to do it, I'm compelled to seek out his explanation. After having read the above quotes and discussed them with my sponsor and other members about 80 years ago, excuse me, eight years ago, I now always identify myself at means by my full name, as do several members of my home group and the men I sponsor. While I know there are no tradition police, I try to do what I can today to help people who want to know our founder's intent when they wrote Tradition 11. Jim T. from Longmont, California. Amen. So, yep, I agree with that. I'll say my full name, but I can't say it here because this is public. So, but I'll say it in my home group meetings where I talk. Incredible readings, huh? I love these stories. I have so much, they have so much to offer, and I have so much to gleam out of there. A lot of times I like to underline them, and uh, when I first, when I was in Tracy, California, starting my AA journey once more for the first two, three years, I used to keep copies of jokes, some of the jokes in, the, in there, They're the timing, the preciseness, the word, the calculations of how they were delivered were amazingly, truly God-given. You know, I was able to have a good belly laugh and have all those endorphins and good chemicals flow through the body, I had what we call the substitute that I went in the bars looking for. I had the respect, the loving interchange of intellect, the, high, the loving of others, the smile. In AA, I had the, uh, the feel of my spiritual needs, my basic needs to be appreciated and to love literature 
and enjoy straight talk, fun talk, exciting talk, and enjoy my life in these mini seminars, I call them. They're mini seminars. It's, the lights are on, performance is on. God is our distributor of the literature for the day. He backs it up with humph, with power and strength, enthusiasm and joy. That's why the program keeps on growing, keeps on growing. People come with renewed vigor because of the words they heard last week, last month. The words had taken root and they, their imaginations are set properly and they come back to the meetings or oh, they're missing the meetings. All right, I'll get off this high horse once in a while. And uh, thank you so much for coming on here. I feel like reading another story. I think I read this story already. It's called uh, Pillow to Pillow. A newcomer learns a dream of a concept. If he can make it to bedtime without a drink, he'll stay sober. I first started drinking in the city with older guys on the stoops of my own neighborhood. After I finished school, I got a job at a restaurant in a resort town. This job gave me a new crew to hang out with. It felt more grown up than when I sat at the stoop because I had a long day of work behind me and I had a pocket full of cash to prove it. I was able to continue that life for about 10 years without major incident, except for the one stroke of bad luck when I punched someone in the parking lot outside a club right in front of a cop. That was my second arrest for disorderly conduct, but I didn't remember much of it and had to ask friends for details. Then I got three driving awards in six years. One every two years, the last one was for crashing into a pole in my boss's car. I was wearing a brace when I woke up in the ambulance. After getting checked out of the hospital, I thought I could just walk the 11 miles home, but a policeman said we weren't finished with our business. My blood test showed a 0.28 level alcohol. I was hell for the remaining few hours before arrangement. Later that day, I had a scrape with the guards and the inmate population. And within 24 hours of crashing, I had a broken jaw that needed wiring and a felony charge. I was given some choices and only now do I recognize that I was lucky to have them as choices. I could go to jail for a year or volunteer for outpatient treatment. I could keep my job as long as I maintain good work ethic, which only meant that I show up for work and that I show up sober. My lawyer negotiated my broken job for outpatient treatment instead of a stay in jail. I negotiated peace with my boss by showing up sober a couple of days in a row. The people at outpatient treatment said, I had to get to three AA meetings a week, see one educational film a week for 10 weeks, and meet with a group once a, or twice a week. I had to ride on a bus once a week, an hour to and from probation. 
for drug and alcohol testing. I was $10,000 in debt and scared about how to deal with that, especially since I didn't know how to make a living without my car and I didn't feel it was safe for me to work in restaurants anymore. I thought it was intrusive that my two counselors showed up at one or, or more of those meetings to check up on me. All they said was that they were glad to see me. There was a lot of God stuff I didn't understand then and some that I still don't understand. But what I do know now is that I am not God. And that more will be revealed. Maybe it was, I was also lucky that I had my broken jaw wired shut <laughs> because I heard some interesting things of those AA meetings too. I heard that some people were so allergic to alcohol that they broke out in misdemeanors. I heard that some of them got drunk on the first drink, which sounded ridiculous. Then I heard a speaker say that alcoholism was a switch that can be turned on or off just like a light switch. I also heard a bunch of one-day time stories. But the most memorable thing I heard at that time was the pillow-to-pillow concept. If I go from pillow in the morning to pillow at night without a drink, the first drink, I can stay sober. And that day, and those added up. Slowly, I began to feel better. The difference between night and day came around for me again, and the work they separated from weekend days. A guy named Chris, who was one of the regular members making coffee, asked me, how I, was go- how I was doing at about a month and change sober. I answered that I had trouble with boredom. Chris suggested that it wasn't boredom, but an unfamiliar lack of crisis and chaos. As that was sinking in, a girl in a nice spring dress walked up. He asked her, hey Mary, what were you doing in 1986? Without skipping a beat, she answered, probably getting drunk and messing around with cowboys. Soon after that, I read on the back of some book, life is full of people that don't know what hit them. That struck me hard and stopped me in my tracks for a moment. Long enough for me to realize that I was, in fact, an alcoholic. Shortly after that, I was walking down the street and saw buildings I had walked by hundreds of times before but had never fully noticed. I suddenly realized that I was no longer looking down on the ground. My memory improved, I smiled easier, and music and colors seemed to be more alive. Some of this was a little unnerving at first, I had to admit, but I kept up regular attendance and meetings and spoke about some of it. I found out that other people identify with what I was going through, just as I identified with them. I like the definition of spiritual awakening that it says, it is profound personality change. These things happened to me in a particular order, and they added up to what I now believe was my very own spiritual awakening. That was my miracle. In AA, nowhere else, I heard hundreds of stories where people get it i didn't quite before i didn't quit before that happened 
I think that was because of combination of blind faith and not really having my choices considering my circumstances. At that time, I hit bottom. I think the recipe is never the same from one alcoholic to another, but many are similar. Fast forward 20 years. I've been married and divorced and married again to an amazing woman I know for a very long time. I have a 10-year-old son who's smart, funny, and athletic. I deal with the slow decline of my mother's due to Alzheimer's. Then came my father's quick death from complications to run a heart attack. I opened a business and with the help of dedicated employees, we managed to keep it open through some very troubling economic times. Financial stuff comes and goes like the tie. And I'm fortunate I work hard at what I love to do. In sobriety, it sometimes feels like work to maintain that miracle. But it's nowhere near the amount of work I put into the drinking life because in my, of my sobriety, I have a full, well-balanced life. It's also true that often I take things for granted in sobriety, but I am lucky. I have smart feet that take me to meetings regularly. And after work, the steps, I should go around and do them again. I often hear the voice of a wise AA member who once said, anything I put in front of my sobriety is the first thing I'll lose. Why am I an alcoholic? I no clue. Why did these things happen to me in that order? I don't know. How does this program work for me? It works just fine. What's next for me? I hope more of the same. That was from Simon H. from Sag Harbor, New York. Beautiful, beautiful, wonderful words of life. Then I tell you folks, that's why we're in AA, to listen to stories like that, and we can identify with them, just like that. Thank you so much for coming on here. Let's go ahead and close. Oh, I overdid my 30 minutes, five, five seven minutes. Cool, huh? Time flew. Let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. If you would like reprints from the November 2014, go to aagrapevine.org. Fernando Commando, your electronic sponsor. God bless you. Reading from Step 11, Grapevine article. It's out of the book, November 2014. The story is, Dear H.P., neither rain nor snow could keep him from giving this prayer thing a shot. Step 11, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood Him, praying only for knowledge of His will for us and the power to carry that out. If you hear any noise in the background, I'm on the elliptical, it's kind of like a treadmill. When I walked into the doors of AA, I heard a lot of talk about praying. People told me to get on my knees in the morning and at night and say the third step prayer. 
the seven-step prayer, the Lord's Prayer, and the serenity prayer. They told me to pray about this and that and to put them in my prayers, adding that they would put me in theirs. And of course, people told me to pray for those people I resented or disliked. I heard all this talk about prayer with very little working knowledge. The only prayer I did say was grace before dinner. But it, but I also screamed and cursed at God because I blame Him for all my problems. And let's not forget all the wet and dry drunks, rants and raves that I yelled out to the trees, chairs, or any object in my path. I was filled with fear, anger, frustration that life was not giving me what I wanted on my terms. But I could no longer drink or scream these feelings away. I had to shake a start with a new higher power and with step two, I had to discard my old punishing fire and brimstone higher power. I had to replace, replace it with a loving and tolerant one. I still didn't believe my new higher power cared about me. So I was told just to believe that I believed. <laughs> what? They told me just to believe that I believed. Huh. When I moved on to step three, it was time to hit my knees. There I was on my knees and elbows on the bed saying the third step prayer. It really felt weird for about a month. It was just words at first, but I kept saying and praying until it didn't feel weird anymore. And when I was upset or wanted a drink, I would repeat the seventh serenity prayer over and over, sometimes out loud and sometimes just in my mind. Somehow, it seemed to help. When I felt on shaky grounds, I asked my higher power to help me get me to a meeting. I asked for the help when I thought the world would fall in on me. I was starting to believe my new higher power did love and care for me. Then I walked step five. Through step five, I never saw it coming when it came time to tell God my fourth step. I didn't know what was going to on in my head, I thought God knew everything, so I didn't have to tell him. Then someone pointed out why telling God my fourth step shouldn't be a big deal. Man, that caught me in a lie to myself. Well, I did that part of the fifth step for which I'm so grateful. At first, I thought my new higher power would leave me when I told him that I, what I had done, but I was wrong. Praying to my higher power for the forgiveness was the most personal thing I ever done. I must have said the serenity prayer about a million times before I realized that it was telling me how to deal with life's problems. I am a little slow. What part of the problem or situation did I need to accept? And what part did I need to change? The only part I can change is my actions. So I needed to pray for the courage to change them. I also prayed for help, accepting other people, places and things. The wisdom part came or comes with time. Time also taught me 
to look at the other prayers for guidance. And I have. Wow. What wisdom I found in the prayers. They're guidelines to help me to accept life on life's terms. I had five years sober when I went back to school and worked the steps and all the programs for the best of my ability. Still, I had no good job, no good place to live, and no hope. I had hit rock bottom in sobriety, so I sat down and wrote my higher power letter. I opened my soul and heart like never before. As tears hit the paper, I kept writing. I wrote until I was empty, until there was nothing left inside. I got an envelope address to God, and I took it to the mailbox. As I put my letter in the mailbox, the tears fell from my face, and I let go. After the letter was dropped, my life slowly got better, and my faith and relationship with my higher power really grew. I hope to always grow toward my higher power and learn more about prayer every day. Jeff H. from Surgeon, Montana. Beautiful, wonderful. The, the story of prayer. I'm Fernando Alcoholic. Well, my first meeting I ever started in AA, I had incorporated all five prayers in there. Somehow I got the serenity prayer, the third step prayer, the seventh step prayer, uh, and uh, the, the Our Father in there, the five or four. And uh, we successfully, the meeting ran for about 10 years, then COVID knocked it off the charts. But for somehow, some way, prayer does good to our nervous system. As soon as we start to pray, we become easy and we start yawning and yawning and we start relaxing. The other prayer I have incorporated in my life is the, uh, is the okay prayer on page 416 of the fourth edition in the book, big book. And it says, okay, God, it is true that I, of all people, strange as it seems, and even though I didn't give my permission, really, really am an alcoholic of sorts. And that's all right with me. Now, what am I going to do about it? Amen. That prayer spoke volumes to me that it admitted to God in a joyful, loving way that it was truly a surprise that I was caught in alcoholism and that God, with his counsel and his wisdom, would help me to get out and, and be a productive member of society. And that's what he did. He continues to, to help me when I struggle with energy, with doubt, with confusion, what articles to read, what book to read, uh, in my just everyday life. Now, there has to be an answer. I was reading another article where when the situation happens like I'm facing, is to add greater wisdom through the serenity prayer, like this gentleman just said. So, I have confusion. What's the answer? Wisdom, right? Action. So, I'll ask God for that. For greater wisdom, greater action over the situation in any problem. 
my cars are giving me problems and I asked for bigger, better, wider, stronger, more dependable, newer lifestyle vehicles. If I'm cluttered with furniture, then I ask for more wisdom, more strength, more talent, more giving, giving of things away in my heart. I've been doing that lately. Lately, I've been exercising what it says in the Bible. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And I noticed that some of the recipients are not grateful and thankful at all. And I've been there. I saw myself. Someone gives me something and there's something wrong with it. You know, I'm, I'm grudging. I know you never done something like that. But it's, I saw that. The, uh-oh, I did that. So, I need to continue to grow. I thank God I'm a grudge. I grudged. One of the things, since I don't drive truck no more, I retired from driving a semi-truck in the grocery business. I used to scream and yell and sing in the truck over the roaring of the of the diesel engine and the noise. But I burned myself out by the time I got to the destination. All right, let's go ahead and move on to our next story. It's from Steve C. from Tulsa, Oklahoma. And this one's called Through the Ceiling. I used to think God was mad at me. How can a so-called loving God put up with someone as bad as me? I never did care much if he loved me or not. I just wanted things to go my way. If they didn't go my way, I figured God didn't care that much about me. Maybe he'd care if I did missionary work in Africa. Heck, before AA, I didn't care about others either, unless there were strings attached. If I actually spend time praying or meditating on God's will, maybe things will turn out different. I thought a few memorized prayers would be good enough to call myself spiritual. Call myself spiritual. But why was I still so miserable? I used to read pages 86 and 87 in the big book, the part about on awakening and asking for the right decisions or for our thoughts to be put on a much higher plane. When Then there was the phrase, fate without works is dead. Boy, did I used to feel dead on the inside. I still find it difficult to talk with someone I can't see, touch, feel, or hear. So I try and talk with this God. I can move mountains? Really? So my journey began. The first thing I did was to get on my knees in the morning for just five minutes and try to talk with this God about my thoughts and feelings. At first, I thought my prayers were only hitting the ceiling. But this God was patient. He finally started to talk deep inside my heart. I knew it had to be God because I could not have come up with feedback and answers like this. I could have not. It had to be God. I could not have come up with these with feedback and answers like these. I'm not saying everyone has to do what I did, but seriously, over time, I found there's 
a huge loving God who wants to spend time with me. Why? One hour with God can reveal the deepest and best secret plans. I'm just saying, Steve C. from Tulsa, Oklahoma. <laughs> I'm just saying. Beautiful, wonderful articles. Another article I was reading earlier today, uh, it's about a book called I Heard God Laugh. And it has, you know, start off with gratitude, three things you're grateful for before hitting your knees, acknowledging God, and believing that He's standing right there. That's one of the hardest things to do, is to believe He's standing there. So I'm trying to read books. I'm trying to get motivated. I get on my knees and do my prayers. Not enough. Three, four, five minutes. Then my mind wanders off somewhere else, and I jump up and start doing something. I don't know if he answered me with energy, but I feel pretty good. I feel, I started to believe that he's standing right there. I started to talk to him. And then one of the areas is to challenge myself. To So I pick up another article and I start reading this article. And was, I have uh, three or four books I'm reading at the same time. It takes a lot of your energy away doing that. But I picked that one book, and it said that the longest journey, pilgrimage that people make is to, not to Jerusalem, Lady Fatna, or other places. They have them all over where years ago, centuries ago, it was a gruesome journey, camping and going. Now we have uh, transportation to ease and the point I'm making is, when I went to Bible college, all of us have a desire to appease, to please the Father in our hearts. I know I did, so I went to Bible college, and I sought and sought, and I realized that life itself was Bible college. And the article went on to say that the longest journey, the Sykes. Indians say the longest journey is from the head to the heart. That's the longest journey. And I saw that. When you have individuals in recovery centers, and that journey won't take place because of resentment, ego, pride, especially pride, self-sufficiency. You know what pride is? It's taking something else's, somebody else's values, ideas, and strength in using it as your own. For instance, our lives, our energy, our intellect, all come from God. And being dishonest, God wants us to be honest. When we're dishonest, we start denying it, and we start picking on others, and making excuses, and drink, and any little thing ticks us off. So there you go, folks. We get wiser as we go. We see ourselves in other people and we can relate to them. Just like I'm relating to you. All right, let me see. Let's go do one more story. And hopefully it's on prayer. This one is called Tradition 11. Our public relations is based on attraction rather than promotion 
we need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press radio films. This one's called Mike the Plumber and Airplane Time. Should AAs be less anonymous when we introduce ourselves to each other? This is by Jim T. from Longmont, Colorado. I was prompted to write this after visiting a meeting in South Florida with my wife. While talking to some people before it started, someone mentioned emphysema Mike. My wife almost burst out laughing on the floor. Everywhere I lived and traveled since getting sober in 1990, people in AA have had nicknames, but never has she heard someone identified by a melody. In my home group, we have such characters as Mike the Plumber, Airplane Tim, The Good Dave, Self-Proclaimed, and so forth. In, in my group, we have Radiator Tom, we have Popcorn Bob, we have uh, Cowboy, Cowboy Jim, we have Dave, Captain Dave, we have Fernando Commando, Someone in Sacramento gave me that after starting those morning meetings when I was pushing and trying to get people to come to the business meeting so we can vote on it. And this beautiful lady started calling me Fernando Commando. And it, it took. People started calling me that. And because there's three, maybe four Fernandos running around in our area, uh, the nickname has caught to identify who's who. Because we're, we're, we get confused what Fernando. Some people have called me the good Fernando, and that makes me feel good when I eat crow and don't argue and take other people's ungrowth patterns or what he, or uh, control freaks' attitudes in the meetings. Here we go. Back to the article. While these moneykers are descriptive and sometimes amusing, I believe they do us a disservice. Besides sounding a little like an organized crime family. <laughs> More importantly, they highlight the fact that we might be taking the principle of anonymity beyond its original intention. Uh-oh. My sponsor has introduced himself at meetings by first name and last name since i known him. One day he told me I should do the same. By way of explanation, he had me read several passages from the book, Dr. Bob and the Good Old Timers. John, my sponsor, said, we are not anonymous among ourselves. What if for some reason I have to look up your phone number or come visit you at the hospital? I think they may have a hard time finding Airplane Tim. Dr. Bob said we have taken this business of anonymity way too far. In Dr. Bob and the Good Old Timers, there are several comments by Dr. Bob or people recalling what he said regarding anonymity. My favorite is a recollection by Warren C. of the doctor saying there were two ways to break the anonymity tradition. One, by giving your name at the public level of press or radio. Two, 
by being so anonymous that you can't be reached by other drunks. The next segment contains another quote attributed to Dr. Bob about the 11th tradition. Since our tradition on anonymity doesn't reach the exact level where the line should be held, it must be obvious to everyone who can read and understand the English language that to maintain anonymity at any level is definitely a violation of this tradition. Several more quotes follow using equally adamant language in the next several paragraphs. If my sponsor tells me to do something, I assume it's with good reason. When he goes out, out of his way to tell me where to find out why he told me to do it, I'm compelled to seek out his explanation. After having read the above quotes and discussed them with my sponsor and other members about 80 years ago, excuse me, eight years ago, I now always identify myself at me by my full name, as do several members of my home group and the men I sponsor. While I know there are no tradition police, I try to do what I can today to help people who want to know our founder's intent when they wrote Tradition 11. Jim T. from Longmont, California. Amen. So, yep, I agree with that. I'll say my full name, but I can't say it here because this is public. So, but I'll say it in my home group meetings where I talk. Incredible readings, huh? I love these stories. I have so much, they have so much to offer and I have so much to gleam out of there. A lot of times I like to underline them and uh, when I first, when I was in Tracy, California, starting my AA journey once more, for the first two, three years, I used to keep copies of jokes. Some of the jokes in, the, in there, they're the timing, the preciseness, the word, the calculations of how they were delivered were amazingly, truly God-given. You know, I was able to have a good belly laugh and have all those endorphins and good chemicals flow through the body. I had what we call the substitute that I went in the bars looking for. I had the respect, the loving interchange of intellect, the, high, the loving of others, the smile. In AA, I had the... Uh, the feel of my spiritual needs, my basic needs to be appreciated and to love literature and enjoy straight talk, fun talk, exciting talk, and enjoy my life in these mini seminars, I call them. They're mini seminars. It's, the lights are on, performance is on. God is our distributor of the literature for the day. He backs it up with hump, with power and strength, enthusiasm and joy. That's why the program keeps on growing, keeps on growing. People come with renewed vigor because of the words they heard last week, last month. The words had taken root and they, their imaginations are set properly. And they come back to the meetings. Oh, they're missing the meetings. 
All right, I'll get off this high horse once in a while. And uh, thank you so much for coming on here. I feel like reading another story. I think I read this story already. It's called uh, Pillow to Pillow. A newcomer learns a dream of a concept. If he can make it to bedtime without a drink, he'll stay sober. I first started drinking in the city with older guys on the stoops of my own neighborhood. After I finished school, I got a job at a restaurant in a resort town. This job gave me a new crew to hang out with. It felt more grown up than when I sat at the stoop because I had a long day of work behind me and I had a pocket full of cash to prove it. I was able to continue that life for about 10 years without major incident, except for the one stroke of bad luck when I punched someone in the parking lot outside a club right in front of a cop. That was my second arrest for disorderly conduct, but I didn't remember much of it and had to ask friends for details. Then I got three driving awards in six years. One every two years, the last one was for crashing into a pole in my boss's car. I was wearing a brace when I woke up in the ambulance. After getting checked out of the hospital, I thought I could just walk the 11 miles home, but a policeman said we weren't finished with our business. My blood test showed a 0.28 level alcohol. I was held for the remaining few hours before arrangement. Later that day, I had a scrape with the guards and the inmate population, and within 24 hours of crashing, I had a broken jaw that needed wiring and a felony charge. I was given some choices, and only now do I recognize that I was lucky to have them as choices. I could go to jail for a year or volunteer for outpatient treatment. I could keep my job as long as I maintain good work ethic, which only meant that I show up for work and that I show up sober. My lawyer negotiated my broken job for outpatient treatment instead of a stay in jail. I negotiated peace with my boss by showing up sober a couple of days in a row. The people at outpatient treatment said I had to get to three AA meetings a week. See one educational film a week for 10 weeks and meet with a group once a, or twice a week. I had to ride on a bus once a week, an hour to and from probation for drug and alcohol testing. I was $10,000 in debt and scared about how to deal with that, especially since I didn't know how to make a living without my car and I didn't feel it was safe for me to work in restaurants anymore. I thought it was intrusive that my two counselors showed up at one or, or more of those meetings to check up on me. All they said was that they were glad to see me. There was a lot of God stuff I didn't understand then and some that I still don't understand. But what I do know now is that I am not God. And that more will be revealed. Maybe it was, I was also lucky that I had my broken jaw wired shut <laughs> because I heard some interesting things of those AA meetings too. 
I heard that some people were so allergic to alcohol that they broke out in misdemeanors. I heard that some of them got drunk on the first drink, which sounded ridiculous. Then I heard a speaker say that alcoholism was a switch that can be turned on or off just like a light switch. I also heard a bunch of one-day time stories. But the most memorable thing I heard at that time was the pillow-to-pillow concept. If I go from pillow in the morning to pillow at night without a drink, the first drink, I can stay sober. And that day, and those added up. Slowly, I began to feel better. The difference between night and day came around for me again, and the work they separated from weekend days. A guy named Chris, who was one of the regular members making coffee, asked me how I was, go- how I was doing at about a month and change sober. I answered that I had trouble with boredom. Chris suggested that it wasn't boredom, but an unfamiliar lack of crisis and chaos. As that was sinking in, a girl in a nice spring dress walked up. He asked her, hey, Mary, what were you doing in 1986? Without skipping a beat, she answered, probably getting drunk and messing around with cowboys. Soon after that, I read on the back of some book, life is full of people that don't know what hit them. That struck me hard and stopped me in my tracks for a moment. Long enough for me to realize that I was, in fact, an alcoholic. Shortly after that, I was walking down the street and saw buildings I had walked by hundreds of times before but had never fully noticed. I suddenly realized that I was no longer looking down on the ground. My memory improved, I smile easier, and music and color seemed to be more alive. Some of this was a little unnerving at first, I had to admit, but I kept up regular attendance and meetings and spoke about some of it. I found out that other people identified with what I was going through, just as I identified with them. I like the definition of spiritual awakening that it says, it is profound personality change. These things happened to me in a particular order and they added up to what I now believe was my very own spiritual awakening. That was my miracle. In AA, nowhere else, I heard hundreds of stories where people get it. I didn't quite before, I didn't quit before that happened. I think that was because of combination of blind faith and not really having my choices considering my circumstances. At that time, I hit bottom. I think the recipe is never the same from one alcoholic to another, but many are similar. Fast forward 20 years. I've been married and divorced and married again to an amazing woman I know for a very long time. I have a 10-year-old son who's smart, funny, and athletic. I deal with the slow decline of my mother's due to Alzheimer's. Then came my father's quick death from complications to run a heart attack. I opened a business and with the help of dedicated employees, we managed to keep it open through some very troubling economic times. Financial stuff comes and goes like the tie. And I'm fortunate I work hard at what I love to do. In sobriety, 
it sometimes feels like work to maintain that miracle. But it's nowhere near the amount of work I put into the drinking life because in my, of my sobriety, I have a full, well-balanced life. It's also true that often I take things for granted in sobriety, but I am lucky I have smart feet that take me to meetings regularly. And after work, the steps, I should go around and do them again. I often hear the voice of a wise AA member who once said, anything I put in front of my sobriety is the first thing I'll lose. Why am I an alcoholic? I have no clue. Why did these things happen to me in that order? I don't know. How does this program work for me? It works just fine. What's next for me? I hope more of the same. That was from Simon H. from Sag Harbor, New York. Beautiful, beautiful, wonderful words of life. Then I tell you folks, that's why we're in AA, to listen to stories like that, and we can identify with them, just like that. Thank you so much for coming on here. Let's go ahead and close. Oh, I overdid my 30 minutes by five, seven minutes. Cool, huh? Time flew. Let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. If you would like reprints from the November 2014, go to aagrapevine.org. Fernando Commando, your electronic sponsor. God bless you.